Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Jenny Turner Hall is a storyteller. She does a lot of things, and she can do any number of things. But I feel like at her heart, that's who she is. She had a scripted podcast series for kids that she was a part of making called The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel. It was um, a global hit. But she's done all sorts of crazy stuff. And talking to her is an invigorating experience. I'm so glad I got to speak with her for Wheels Off because I think that her energy is infectious, the way she thinks about what she does, but then also kind of just does what she wants without thinking too much about it. Towards the end of the interview, we have a bit of a denouement where we kind of riff around about different memories, different stuff that you can dig up from your childhood on the internet and I think that that is a, a funny little section of the interview or conversation because it really, I feel like, gives a window into sort of how she works, not like how she does her job works, but sort of what makes her tick. Like is she's just excited and she's constantly looking around and, you know, lighting on different things and finding the spark in those things. So I'm so glad I got to speak with Ginny Turner-Hall. I think she's just a really brilliant person, and I'm really glad I get to bring the conversation to you. So please welcome to Wheels Off, Ginny Turner-Hall. Welcome to Wheels Off, Ginny Turner-Hall. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, For the edification of our listeners, where are you joining from right now? From the confines of the yellow room with the yellow wallpaper, also known as my bedroom, in the fair hamlet of Maplewood, New Jersey, which is, um, you know, surrounded by maple. (laughs) Hence the name. (laughs) Um, so what creative project or projects, knowing you, are you working on at the moment? And uh, and how does it light you up? How does it light me up? Oh, yeah. goodness. Um, well, I, you know, I've got my finger in a lot of pots, as it were. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I'll go into them. But also, I think I'm lit up by doing a lot of stuff. I mean, that's just how I am. I just need to be kind of a scatterbrained soul, you know, and, and I guess I get bored easily too. So, um, I just wrapped the actual recording on a pretty ambitious podcast project. I had 21 actors 
And um, it's all about the women who ran for the presidency that we don't know about. There, there was over a hundred and there's some real nut jobs in there. So <laughs> that's good fodder. Um, and we start with the very first one, Victoria Woodhull. And um, this is a project that I'm one of the executive producers on and that I didn't write. Usually I write my own um, audio fiction projects. Uh, so it's been kind of a pleasure stepping back on that particular aspect and just getting to enjoy producing. Um, it's a theatrical project and it, it involves a lot of cool downtown New York theater artists. And, um, and we tell the story in a deconstructed way and really sort of question um, how we tell history when it comes to women's history and that it's totally okay to tell the full story and talk about the whole human being and, uh, you know, not get too wrapped up in, um, you know, heroism and or making heroes and um, heroism. Hero building. <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, as a writer, I can just make up words <laughs> because that's part of, that's what my business card says. Um. So, yeah, so it's all about, you know, warts and all, you know, what, how these women were. And some of them, I think to run for the presidency inherently, some tiny part of you has to be a narcissist. And this is the kind of thing that we want to talk about on this podcast. And, uh, but, but it's um, theatrical, you know, it's, it's scripted. It's, it's, it's almost a, it's kind of a newfangled radio play. So, so I've been working on that quite a bit. And again, it's called A Simple Herstory. And then the other projects, I actually had to write a list because there's so many. <laughs> I have been uh, working on a compilation of short stories that are um, kind of like the Twilight Zone meets Elaine May. Or <laughs> I'm obsessed with Elaine May and Mike Nichols and their comedy albums actually is a big reason why I even got into podcasting. Um, so it's, it's, I, I don't really have a title for it, but I think that the working title could kind of give you a nice nutshell of what it is. It's called a collection of short stories about imagination, loneliness, and everyday detritus. So, um, yeah, like the first story is about a woman, um, whose best friend is her skin tag. So <laughs> you kind of get a flavor Yes, of what's happening there. And then um, uh, with my partner in Studio B, which is an arts organization I run in Fair Maplewood, Maplewood with the Maples, um, we're doing walking tours of strange places where, that you can walk through, like ghost towns and things. And um, the idea is that you visit them, you know, COVID-friendly conditions, and you listen to the podcast and are running commentary. Wow. So it's like, Yeah. Are you recording them while going to those places? Oh, yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. The first one that we did, which was sort of our test pilot, um, we walked through Dickens Village. So, again, fair Maplewood. Maplewood will come up a lot during this little discussion. So four <laughs> people are, are going to really love this talk. <laughs> They're going to be on the town council of Maplewood. Um, so, yeah, so they do this during holiday time they do this dickens village and it's miniaturized but not like tiny it's like you know half size it's for kids but the kids aren't actually allowed to go inside the little houses they could only peer in so um 
so yeah, we did a running commentary of like what was happening inside those homes. And um, I wouldn't say it's PG, but it's not R. So. <laughs> so the idea is, yeah, you, you know, let the, let the, um, the Starbucks stirs crunch under your feet as you walk through um, Dickens Village. And then uh, I'm also working on a, um, a project that was inspired by the Brill Building wow. in New York City. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a scripted series, too. Kind of has we're, a Mad Men uh, kind of we're, feel. We're recording this on um, Carol King's actual birthday. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. God, how appropriate is that? Man. Yeah. I love the Brill Building. What is this? Gonna, oh, this is a scripted exactly. series. It is. I mean, it's it's inspired by the Brill Building, you know, and it's really about the drama of collaboration, and um, you know how because most of my projects are collaborative. I rarely do something solo, um, which is something I might consider maybe more in my career. <laughs> I have a lot of different partners and things, and uh, it's. I have to tell you, it's just fun. It's a lot more fun doing it with someone else. And so it's about um, sort of what happens inside those rooms, the making of a song, their collaboration also with the artists and the push pull of that, but also going up on the roof and having a smoke and, you know, crapping on other <laughs> teams and, and, and how, you know, ideas are generated there and sometimes even stolen and um, really how many songs don't even make it out into the world, you know, how some of the best work is on the cutting room floor. And really, I was inspired by the idea of the songs that are on the cutting room floor, you know, that were just too edgy, or too weird, or not good. I have a love for the not good. <laughs> <laughs> I like bad songs. I mean, I just kind of want to like, just kind of tuck them in and give them shelter in my armpit. What? Oh my God. I am so, yeah. (laughs) Well, like you would with a Polaroid, right? So let it develop or something or a baby chick who needed to be kept alive or something. You Um, said that in a far more lovely way than the metaphor (laughs) I just gave you. Um, Oh my God. I'm so fascinated by this Brill building idea. This is so something that's right up my alley. Would the idea be that this would be a a television series or is this also a podcast? Well, I was going to start it as audio fiction because that's sort of my, that's my jam at the moment, but I would love to turn it into a TV series. And, um, you know, like I said, it's not based on any specific artist, but it's absolutely inspired by that time period and what was happening in the Braille building. And I just find it so captivating because I know that when I moved to New York City in my early 20s, I was dying for this kind of community, you know, and just the idea of working on that floor with all those amazing people, you know, who was, that were pushing you, but also working with you and collaborating with you and, you know, horny. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it, like, and it's, and that's part of it. Hungry and horny. Like you're trying to make money to try and not get kicked out of your apartment, but you're also trying to find a partner long-term, short-term, whatever. I mean, think about Carol King and Jerry Goffin in that room yes. and all the songs that they cranked out. Oh, I know. And also this idea of like, you want to say something profound, but you're only 21 years old. I mean, how many profound things can be said at that age? You know, you really haven't lived a life. You don't know. You have to go for the cliches, you know, and and yet you're trying to 
not do that, you know, do anything but the thing that actually works, you know? I like that even just as a rule. You know, it's funny that you bring up the collaboration that you do and um, and, and having multiple different collaborators. Uh, like I talked to Ben Acker. I don't know if you know him and the Thrilling Adventure Hour is a similar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Acker and Blacker, um, I, they're friends of mine. I interviewed Ben Acker for this, but you know, he's someone who's had one collaborator for years and years and years. And the fact that you're able to bounce between different collaborators it comes up a lot in sort of um, in, you know, in uh, sort of general um, mention during these conversations, but like you do a lot of collaboration and I wonder like, how do you wind up with these different collaborators? And I wonder if, um, if it's, do you, what do you think it is that, that makes it work for you? Do you think it's the accountability part of it? Or do you think it's just having someone else's inspiration? Tell me. Collaboration, go. Yes, yes, we should collaborate on an answer together here. Um, I mean, you know from being in a band too, I mean, some of it is like dumb luck. <laughs> some of it is like you you get a vibe, a sense of similar shared sensibility or references. Um, and some of it really for me, it was just never saying no. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had the attitude more of like, why not? Let's see. Let's try. You know, this this could this could be interesting. And I can really say that um, sometimes it's been a marvelous jump off the cliff, you know, and, and sometimes I really there was no water. You know, and <laughs> it was a disaster. Um, when I did the um, the kids podcast, Mars Patel, um, that really was a leap because um, you know, I, I was running this artist salon out of my basement in Maplewood. <laughs> and because uh, I kind of fancy myself like the Dorothy Parker of um, the New Jersey suburbs. And, um, you know, as you do. Yeah. And I had babies at the time. Now I have teenagers. But um, there was a door to our basement that wasn't the front door. So that was like we, we try to kind of cultivate a speakeasy vibe just in the sense of don't wake the babies upstairs and um all kinds of artists would come writers musicians and and we had like a full-on salon and um so I met a couple of actually I invited a couple of those guys I ended up doing Mars Patel with to the salon and that's kind of how we got together and when we um sat down to come up with the series I mean it um it was just one of those magical moments where it worked. We all grew up in the 80s and were influenced by Steven Spielberg. And we knew that we wanted to tell that level of story um, uh, with basically cinema for your ears, you know, and we all had young kids and we all knew what it meant to be on a very long car ride with children (laughs) and needing something to listen to. And so, um, you know, it's an example of a collaboration that wasn't, I didn't foresee it. And, and you know, we only came together to work on Mars Patel. You know, it was like the Avengers uniting. And then we slayed Thanos. <laughs> I don't know. Depends on the movie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> am I mixing the, I probably am. My, uh, <laughs> my children are going to listen to this and they're just going to be like, oh God, mom, <laughs> jeez shut up anyway so um 
so we came together and it was this magical moment of collaboration, but it was just for that project. Um, and then someone like Marcy, who I do at uh, this art, art, you know, this nonprofit arts organization with, um, you know, she's a collaborator for life. I mean, we just make each other laugh. And that was our only criteria for collaboration. But in terms of like what it does for me as an artist, I, I think I really had a hard time with the critic in my head. And I think that when you work with someone or a group of people, it 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 really tells your critic to shut down, to to shut it down and shut up and sit down and do all the things, you know, go away, you know. Yeah. Um, and it encourages you to um to have a little more confidence in what you're doing. And I, I think I'm a person who needed that. I mean, some artists I meet have just stunning self-confidence. I mean, I I I look at them and I'm around them and I say, boy, I do not share genetic material with you. <laughs> we clearly come from different lineage, you know. I wonder, though, because I wonder sometimes people project that and maybe it's not real. Maybe it's just the projection. Maybe they're really good at projecting. Well, they got me fooled. Boy, I know. They, can just, <laughs> they can just send their projection my way all day. No, I, I. you're right. I mean, they really, there's a lot of faking it till you make it in this business. And um, But the people that I really love hanging out with who are artists are really just the good old fashioned geeks, you know, like give me a room of geeks any day and, uh, and, and then you'll have a friend for life. <laughs> it's funny from what I know about your widely varied career and all the crazy stuff you've done. Um, like I know that you started out as a theater person, like a drama yeah. person, but I think of you primarily as a storyteller. And I wonder was there a point where you knew, like, I'm going to make a life out of telling stories? Did it only just come out of, like, being in front of people doing acting and drama and theater? Like, was there an epiphany moment for you where you knew that you were going to be this person? Yes. And oh, you want what, me to say it? What was it? <laughs> no, I'm, <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a storyteller. No, um... <laughs> I was actually already thinking about this because I had listened to some of your other episodes, oh, by no. the way, you guys, anyone listening out there, I'm, I am assuming is already subscribed to this podca podcast, but it's amazing. And I've really enjoyed listening to all the, the back episodes. They're great. Um, when I was a kid, I, I made up stories. I had, I was, you know, I have heard this theme on some of your other podcasts, but I was lonely. And my imagination ran wild. And so I always knew that I wanted to get up and tell people's stories. And I think that was an entertaining myself kind of thing. But also my grandfather uh, was a just a old school Southern storyteller. You know, he just loved to chew the fat. And he was in D-Day and Battle of the Bulge. And so he always had amazing World War II stories uh, in the 29th Division that stormed the beaches in Normandy. I mean, he, those stories alone, those death-defying stories were incredible. And also um, growing up, you know, poor in Floyd, Virginia, and, and um, his first cousin, Curtis Turner, is one of the founders of NASCAR. 
So we have a lot of stories of moonshine and running from the law in our family. So that keeps things lively, you know? And um, so I guess I came from a, a tradition of that's how people pass the time. It wasn't watching TV. It was just sitting around telling stories and maybe playing cards, you know, that's the Southern way. And maybe, you know, slicing watermelon, you know, and then, um, you know, as a kid, I loved entertainment and the moment, I guess I knew that I really wanted to be involved with performing, you know, in some fashion, um, was every time we went into the supermarket, I, uh, my mom was kind of doing her own thing and I would put on a show in the cereal aisle, you know, it was like, you know, standing room only in front of the, <laughs> front of the kick cereal, you know, and I would just want to put on a show wherever I went, you know, and, and I was a dancer as a kid. So some of it was a, you know, it was a musical variety show. There was a dance act, you know, it was kind of like Barbara Mandrell, <laughs> you know, there was. There was a little my rendition of Jolene or whatever, and and uh, a little little stand up, little soft shoe, got a little Carol Burnett action, you know, in the mix, and so I, I think there was definitely the entertainment bug was there, but in terms of shaping short storytelling and really taking people on a journey, I I do think that came from theater, but I also think it came from my introduction to independent cinema. You know, I had. God bless him. I had a, a, this teacher named Walter Corte at the University of Virginia who exposed us to all the great independent filmmakers out there. And I think that really, then I became obsessed with storytelling, you know, and um, I mean, from Citizen Kane on, you know, and, and I actually came to New York City to be a filmmaker. My One of my first jobs was working at NYU in the film department. So I also have a background in film and TV production too. So, wow, it's funny. As soon as you said independent filmmaking, I started thinking about those like those eighties, nineties um, New York. Like I, I feel very much yeah. in New York had that scene. It was the best. In fact, my first gig ever was uh, working as a PA for Spike Lee. Wow. And I moved. To, he doesn't know this, but I <laughs> or me. <laughs> but I moved to Bed-Stuy because of Do the Right Thing. So when I first, and also I could afford it. I I think my rent was like $200 at the time. Um, But I I really wanted to follow in his footsteps. And, um, you know, I, it kind of um, engendered in me. And I think this is also just like not growing up with a ton of money, you know, this do it yourself kind of attitude to being an artist in my career and, and um, I have such mad respect for other people who also are doing it that way, too. I think a lot of people in audio fiction and podcasting, which is the one space where I, I'm sort of, you know, I'm known for, they are do-it-yourself people. You know, th- there wasn't really a path. You just said, oh, wouldn't this be cool? And you just figure out how to do it. And um, and that's what it was like living in New York at that time. You know, I you know, with the theater companies I was involved with, I, you know, I, I had a one woman show that had like 20 people probably came in the audience and it was awesome. <laughs> it was just such a wonderful time to be in New York and to experiment. And, you know, I, I, I think I learned a lot about uh, not relying on somebody to give me a big break that, you know, you had to just go out and make your own break. 
I wonder how much of that like indie film spirit now lives in the podcast world. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think a fair amount, especially with um, scripted podcasting. Exactly. Because a lot of it's self-funded, you know? So, I mean, these people are doing it out of labor of love and, begging their actor friends to do it for basically free. Doesn't yeah. that sound like the indie scene of filmmaking? I know it's like same idea. And, you know, teaching themselves the equipment. I mean, that's same same old thing. And um, and what's great about podcasting is just that, you know, there the world is wide open where you're setting the podcast, you know, in the world of indie filmmaking, you know, you were really limited to what locations you could, secure or just illegally film for a short period of time before you're shut down by the cops, you know, gorilla. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which was also a great time in New York. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Kind of remembering the late nineties. I had a girlfriend that I lived with who would never stop talking about Kevin Corrigan. Oh yeah. Was he not like the Brad Pitt of New York indie film? (laughs) He really was. He was in some of my very favorite indie films. Yeah, um, yeah, he kind of had this unusual look and vibe that was just a little bit irresistible and like secretly sexy. Yeah, oh, that's, um, that's words right out of her mouth. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, you I feel her. <laughs> <laughs> you um, you touched on this earlier, and I've heard you refer to yourself as uh, all all sorts of versions of neurotic or whatever, like. Um, <laughs> um, but and but I wonder no. about that because like I wouldn't have guessed that about you just from from what I know of your work from having spent time around you like you seem very like like comfortable in your own skin you seem very much like this super um um effervescent personality but I wonder you know because obviously you do have to battle through some of these internally generated obstacles. I wonder what secrets you've come up with to get to this place where you've been able to work through them and turn them into perhaps even fodder for your art. Oh, um, oh boy. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) first of all, I have you fooled. Um, (laughs) No, I I mean, I, I think, you just work with it, right? You know, if you got it flaunted. So if you've got that nervous energy, I mean, I, I, I'm in a lot of writing groups. That's another thing I, I, you know, I'm going to make this confession on your podcast today. I am addicted to writing groups. (laughs) Tell tell me what that means. So like, as you're writing, you let them read what you're working on and they give you feedback or you support each other. I've always wondered about these. Yeah. And they're great. I mean, I've got, you know, one that I started this, this gonk thing, this Algonquin circle. There's um, a group of ladies from New York city that we've been in a writer's group for probably uh, let's see, Zoe is 15. So like 17 years. (laughs) And, um, and now it's great because we could do it through zoom. Yeah. So you just get together. It's all writers and writers of different stripes doing different kinds of work. Some are writing plays, some are writing poetry, some are writing fiction, um, short stories, novels, whatever podcasts, you know, and you bring snippets of your work and then you get a little bit of feedback or honestly, some cheerleading and encouragement. And 
you know, that is a way of dealing with, you know, being neurotic about what you're working on and that you're onto something and keep going. And, you know, if you can't see the forest for the trees, it's good to get other people's opinions and eyeballs. And also what's great about it is it starts making you flexible about um, not being so precious about what you're working on and, and knowing how to use notes. I mean, boy, that's hard. You know, as a writer, you're always going to get notes in your career and you have to figure out uh, what to do with them. You know, because if you take every single note, literally, you'll just Frankenstein every piece that you do. So you have to kind of get at the kernel as to why that person felt that way about that note. <laughs> you know, what's at the essence of what they're trying to get at if this specific note can't be executed and stuff. And writers groups give you a chance to practice that kind of um, skill. But other ways you deal with being neurotic is you just write the problem into your actual work. You know, if you're a nervous character, write a nervous character, you know, um, your greatest fear, that's going to be great drama for your for your story. You know, um, whatever the problem is, try to just write the problem, you know, and I somebody told me that and I that's a little tidbit that I have, you know, held on to my entire career and has really helped me, um, especially in scenes that I write that I can't sort of figure out how to, you know, get around the thing I needed to do. And I said, oh, I just have to write the problem into the scene. I have to have a character that says, I've run out of things to say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other character is like, fine, I'm just going to punch you in the face. Conflict. <laughs> You know? <laughs> Whatever the problem is, write the problem. God, I love that. That's incredibly useful. And and um and I like the idea of this writers group thing because I've always been well, I've never been introduced to them. I dropped out of college after one semester. And I, I mean, I wonder, is this something that you sort of learned about in college from like working with other people and then took into adult life? I mean, is can anyone start a writers group? How does it work? Yes, you can. Can you enjoy one of mine, Rhett? Um, yeah, you know, it started with, so I I did the, um, I graduated with a government, I mean, I technically had a government major in college, but I, I physically graduated with the drama department because those were my people. <laughs> and I, so anyway, I took a playwriting class and when you workshop plays, I mean, that's very much kind of what's happening and, and you know, receiving feedback and giving feedback. And so it was like, the, that was my training wheels of, as to how to give other writers feedback. And, um, and it was great. It was so useful, especially when you're writing plays, because you do need to hear them aloud to know what's working. You know, you can't, I mean, as much as you might like to play 21 characters in your head, it may not, you know, always, you know, serve the art. So, um, yeah. And then when I left college, I really missed that feeling and that playwriting class. And um, it just sort of organically happened. I was um, I was looking for one and someone's it was almost like dating. It's like, hey, you got a writer's group. You know, I, I might be interested. I five seven. I type it this certain words per minute. And I'm I'm working currently in the genres of short story and poetry. Are you interested? No. Um, but it was kind of like that. I mean, 
somebody just said, oh, I think you would jive with this group of people. But really, it's also great having writers groups with really different people. I mean, I've actually had writers group with songwriters too, you know, and it's a lot of fun them bringing what they're working on. And, you know, sometimes the lyrics and music come together at once. Sometimes the lyrics come first. Sometimes they just have this music they love, but the, the lyrics just aren't coming together. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why the whole Brill Building project, I've always secretly wanted to write musicals. So there's an aspect to that here. So, gosh, I'm talking. I love it's it. Even... Well, that's, that's the whole idea of this. You, I get you to talk. I trick you into talking and then you just yeah. talk and talk. That's the idea. Oh, oh my God. God. Now, what about you? <laughs> no, it's funny. Carl Newman from the New Pornographers did that to me. We had a solid like 45 minutes of talking about him. And then all of a sudden he insisted on turning the tables and there's 20 minutes of me answering questions. <laughs> it's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, well, can I ask you a quick question, though? Yeah, of course. What, co- what comes first, the music or the lyrics or both? Or so, it um, depends. No, it's, I mean, that is like, that is the question that you get asked as an artist. And there's yeah. no, there's, there's not a pat answer for it because um, every once in a while, like right now I've got a song I'm working on that uh, my friend John gave me a chord progression. That's a really complicated chord progression. And I got excited more about learning how to play it so that I could make my fingers do these things that they weren't used to doing. But then as, of course, I'm repeating this chord progression for one hour, two hours, in my mind, suddenly I'm hearing the melody that wants to be sung on top of it. And then that melody suggests uh, like a line of lyrics, but that that, and that's what I find happens is that one thing suggests another thing. Usually it's the opposite. Usually there's a phrase and the phrase has within it a musicality, which will suggest a melody. And then that melody wants this next phrase and then they it's like a dance they but it's more like these are needy characters in a story and then this guy needs this thing and then she needs this thing and and i'm just trying to frantically give them what they want and then you know three and a half minutes worth of thing emerges and and i have to decide if i like it or if like you're saying it's one of those things that you just make and and then, and then that's done. <laughs> we did that. Yeah. Um, you, you would probably be a good playwright. Have you written a play? No, but it's funny though. I've, I've been working on fiction lately and I keep thinking of it in terms of like, I keep wanting to just write the dialogue. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I can see it. I can totally see it. And, you know, for me, people ask like, do you just like, do you hear, start hearing voices? <laughs> I just want to be like, they, they're like, you know, are you just hearing voices? Is that how you come up with your characters and dialogue? Because I love writing dialogue too. And the truth is, is yes, I hear voices. I, I think I literally hear voices. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you, you must hear, you talked earlier about um, when you collaborate with other people, how that helps to make those, those negative voices shut up. But it's not all negative voices, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be as prolific as you are. There's things in your head that want to get out. Yes. There's definitely a lovable collection of weirdos. It's kind of like a closet (laughs) of weirdos. And I just pull out outfits every so often and like, Hey, what do we think about this? Moo moo. Is this, you know, this what we're going to write today? Um, Yeah. I mean, 
you know, that's what's so interesting about the process because it's all you, right? You know, it's like, it's, it's all these people that you're creating, but it's your voice through the filter of people that you're creating. And it might be people that you know, but it's still your perception of them. And so it's, it's kind of interesting. When I set out to do this collection of short stories, I was talking about, you know, every, um, there's like 70 stories and, and everyone is a different character, but they're all me, you know? And, and, um, it's interesting, I think, and this is what I was saying, like the things you can't know when you're younger, just, I think what it is, is that the longer you live and the number of people that you encounter in your life, you start to eat the people yeah. <laughs> and they become a part of you. And so it is you, but it's them as well. You just like, you know, as digestible material in your stomach. God, it well, my mom always used to talk about people watching, which which I still I still to this day think about it and I think about the importance of it, right? As fodder. Yeah. Or, as yes. grist, grist for the mill. Um, but it came up it came up in when I was speaking with Michael Shabon about this, and he was he was bemoaning um the sort of silent eavesdropping opportunities that have now been usurped by technology right like we sit in yes. a diner we sit in a diner we look at our phone we could be listening to the table you know that just adjacent to ours but instead we're engaged in whatever scrolling yeah same with subway staring that was always my favorite thing yeah don't comfortably stare at someone <laughs> sitting right across <laughs> and i my favorite subway type was the one scribbling something in a notebook or sketching. I was always wondering what they were sketching. I assumed it was, it had to be me, <laughs> the stranger. <laughs> but you, you were also a version of the, the person sitting there scribbling or taking down notes, at least. I mentally. Yeah. I was, I was, I oh, was. they were totally giving me fodder. It's true. It's true. But I love that. I mean, that was one of the best parts about New York. Like all you had to do is hop on a subway. And you had a story of something, you know, good or bad. <laughs> I remember um, David David Cross did a set opening for me at Fez, which, speaking of subways, which is like, oh, yeah, that club yes. downstairs from Time of Cafe. Course. And you could hear yeah. the subway rumble through the room. And um, and he had just moved to New York City, and he was talking about riding his bike down, like, Fifth Avenue. And on one side of the street, there was, like, a guy in a thong juggling, you know, glass vases. And on the other side of the street was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, and he runs into a trash can. It's that thing. There's <laughs> too, too much. There's too much. But it's great. Uh, yeah, that, that's why I always dreamed of living in New York as well. Uh, it was just the best. And the F train was definitely the train to get flashed on. And really, <laughs> there was they were so creative sometimes in the ways. I think there was like, I went on a real streak of like, as it were, I was flashed about five times in, the band <laughs> in one year. <laughs> I think I just had that like turnip trap <laughs> falling off look. Just like, you know what? She's going to be cool with this. It might make her uncomfortable, but <laughs> she's just going to grin and bear it. <laughs> she might even compliment me. Well, that's possible what... I did. Oh my God. That's <laughs> so great. Okay. So um, you've given a lot of great advice already, but if you were to sort of distill it and find um, a piece of advice you might give to the 21 year old version of Ginny working in today's world, what advice might you give yourself? Okay. I'm glad you asked. Because I prepared a statement. For oh, this. shit. 
<laughs> okay, you ready? Yes. It's not that long, I promise. Okay. No. Dear 21-year-old self. I'm 21 here, so, I mean, that's just how it's going to be. Dear 21-year-old self, don't cut your own bangs. Just don't do it. Don't. And don't charge your rent on your credit card. However, go experience as much art as you possibly can. And it doesn't have to be in a museum or the film forum. You could be walking in the woods and somebody throws a pair of old jeans up in a tree and it's a found sculpture or it's the spark of a crazy story, the ghost in mom jeans. Also, hookup culture, not for you, not for you. It's okay for a kiss to actually mean something. Also, don't be afraid of being alone and get a day job you can master really quickly so that you can phone it in and secretly do art at the office. That's a good one. <laughs> and if you want to be discovered, you're not going to just be discovered. We did talk about this. You are not a unicorn, Jenny, alas, but you're really plucky. So you're a DIY kind of gal. Embrace that knowledge and go for it. Lastly, I don't know what you're up to, 21-year-old self, but you could probably use a 12-step program. Just a hunch. <laughs> How old were you when you got into any 12-step program? Or did you ever? Oh, that was, I guess, like four or five years ago. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think I, did, I tried in college. <laughs> I've tried several different flavors of 12-step programs. <laughs> But um, like not seriously involved with one until four or five years ago. Yeah. Four and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm at five and a half. So huzzah for us. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think it has um, softened your edges or taken anything off of your fastball. You're great. <laughs> I feel so lucky to get to talk to you. And thank you for oh. giving so much thought to your advice to your 21-year-old self. Oh, well. Yeah, you know. <laughs> You're a writer. <laughs> a writer. I, I got to do what I got to do. Um, but also, you know, I think if I didn't like prepare a little something, I mean, when I listened to it on the other episodes, you know, I, I agree with what everyone else says. I mean, there's just so much to say. I mean, I was a mess at 21, you know, and in today's world, I'd probably be an even bigger mess. I think it's just a, it's a, it's, it's really crazy out there. It's it's weird to be at a point in history where you can really feel that we're on the decline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's something that we didn't have when we were 21, you know, back in the day. And so I can't even imagine. I mean, I see it through my kids, but um, I don't know if I can truly feel what that must feel like. So I, I do, well, first of all, I worry about them, but also I, I do want them to live in the moment as much as possible. And I, and I think that's one of the principles actually espoused with 12 step programs too, but um, being aware of the present and just really enjoying your life where you're at, you know, and you don't have to be famous and you don't have to have a lot of money. I mean, having enough money to get by certainly is very important. Um, but uh, to just be aware, be, you know, excited about where you are and to, you know, um, be adventurous and curious, all the, those kinds of things. Um, it's all, all true. Oh, but the point was, is that I didn't want to uh, not have anything to say because there's so much to be said, you know, it's like, 
from the mundane, you know, to like, hey, you know, um, maybe hit the laundromat just a little more often, you know, to like the really big advice of like, hey, when you encounter this person type of person in your life, that's a narcissist and run. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of those. Oh, my goodness. I know. um, It's just, uh, I love this. Thank you. Well, thanks. I it, honestly, it's funny. I these wheels off things conversations have been a lifesaver for me. I started doing them a couple of years ago, but really, it's just in the last year during the pandemic since they've become a Zoom thing, and thus much easier to schedule. Um, <laughs> it's 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 such a lifeline just getting to have these conversations because I didn't realize so much of what I loved about my job was traveling around, meeting fascinating people, sitting backstage, talking about art, you know, talking about the hustle, talking about heartbreak of, you know, not being able to do it the right, like you wanted to do it or, or getting something ripped out from under you, like all those things that we talk about, right? With people that make things and, yeah, oh God, I've missed it so much. And so to be able to do it has been, and so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's just been great. I feel like, you know, we have to like carry each other, you know, during these times. And remember that, um, you know, we do inspire each other. It's really important that we not make art in a vacuum. And also not pressure ourselves to like, you know, come up with something amazing every day. Just doing like baby steps is perfectly fine right now. You know, and especially right now, especially, you know, the thing that I just don't want to see happen to anyone I know who's a creative type or a type type, any type. (laughs) I don't want to see the I don't want to see the little spark go out. You know, you have to you have to like blow on that little flame (laughs) and anything can do it. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of evils obviously with technology, but one of the coolest uh, advantages to Google and technology is you can research anything, any weird little crevice that you really want to explore, go down rabbit holes and whatnot, you know, they're available to you and at your fingertips. And, um, you know, it does. <laughs> I hate to say it, the internet could be such inspiration. <laughs> <You> know, <whatever. laughs> what a kind of boring statement is that but um you know there it is like you know there's so many archival like material um is is available for you online and i mean even things such as um there's something called the uh prelinger archives if you do you know about this no this is um you know all those films that they would show in school that's like school you know driver safety and yeah you know, like death on the highway and all those phone stuff. That's all part of the Prelinger archive. Um, and also just a lot of old film footage and stuff too. And um, it's just a great place, like a, a, you know, a rabbit hole to jump down to see like, you know, what we were doing with filmmaking back then and these little morality plays that we were, you know, presenting to students. And I find it fascinating, you know, and, and how that shaped who we are. And and are you know rebelling against it and you know it's interesting to go back and understand you know you're the individual vertebra that makes you 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 know and um 
the internet makes that possible. I know, right? <laughs> that that to me that seems like it would be an interesting character, right? Someone whose job it is to make those morality play mini movies for high school kids, and basically the arbiter of morality. Like, what is what are we going to shove into the kids' brains? What today? You know, some sometimes you know. So occasionally, they're they're exactly what you expect and what you remember, but. I do <laughs> actually for me and not for the guys I did Mars Patel with, but one of the inspirations for Mars Patel was this very little known series that was made by um, the Mississippi public broadcasting station. It was a post-apocalyptic sci-fi series that was about teaching kids the Dewey decimal system. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it, was called, it was called Tomes and Talisman. I mean, I remember it to this day. So it clearly made an impression and it was super scary. And it, it had a really awesome, elaborate sort of sci-fi premise. Um, and the idea was that these evil creatures called the wipers, it, it took place in like the year 2131. And the wipers had come to earth and and basically wiped out all of human history. And so because they, they wanted to take it over and erase any. So it was the librarians who were trying to hang on to the last, you know, microfiche wow. <laughs> of what human history was, because most of the humans had already like skedaddled and gone to a different solar system. But they wanted to be able to, you know, protect um especially the history of the wipers coming. I can't believe I'm really going on about this. But oh my I, God, I love it. But I just, so I just love everything about this. I love that librarians sat around a table. They're like, let's, we got to teach kids a Dewey Decimal System, but how, <laughs> you know? And then someone's like, well, I really like Doctor Who. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> let's go with that. They're like, and, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, in Mississippi, it was oh, my God. Mississippi. It was just so cutting edge. And like, I am, I'm just so loving on that hippie in 1986 who like secretly, you know, they secretly pushed that project through. And um, anyway, see stuff like that just absolutely delights me. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe in a different lifetime, I was probably an archaeologist. Okay. Enough of that. <laughs> no, but I think that's I think that's a great point, right? Like the internet is waiting for, especially now when we're all kind of trapped. Like, dig, find things, be inspired. You know, there's like the other day I found um, uh, a Tom Waits documentary that I'd never. I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of music documentaries just because it's like ah, too much. I live this already. But um, I went down the rabbit hole in this Tom Waits documentary, and it was so incredibly inspiring, not because there was all this stuff I didn't know about him, but just it really humanized him to me. And it reminded me that he was just a guy who was trying to figure out, like, what's the next song? What's the next record? How am I going to deal with, you know, this? uh, Oh, I want to be different. I want to fire this producer. And I mean, I just loved the um, just the just the little dumb details of how artists have to make a decision um, moment after moment and they stack up and that becomes their life's work. I love that. Yeah. 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 And I think like when you're in the moment, I mean, it's been rare for me in the moment of creating something where I think, Oh, this shit's good. This this is it. You know, (laughs) Never, you know, like it's, no. it's only like years where I was like, 
that shit was good. You know, I didn't even know it. Well, usually that's right. For me on stage, if I think I'm doing great, I'm killing it, immediately yeah. I forget a lyric or I flub something. Ugh. Like it's it's hubris, right? That's Yeah. Yeah. And I think also when you're in the state of flow, it's also, it, 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 there is something amnesia about it too. Like you, you just sort of, you're like, what just happened? I don't know. <laughs> All I know is like, I'm off stage and my mascara is down my cheeks, you know, and something happened up there. <laughs> you know? Well, this is something um, I talked about with Nora Jones the other day. It was transcendental meditation. We both have gotten inducted and done TM. Yeah. Um, and when you do transcendental meditation, the idea is that you're trying to achieve, uh, you're trying to enter the unified field, which is a state of no thought. But by definition, while you're in it, you don't know you're in it. You only realize you were in it when you come out of it. And there's something mm. about what you're talking about when you're in the flow and everything's moving and going and coming. And and then afterwards, you're like, wow, that was great. I just came up with something <laughs> great. But if you're aware of it, it almost is it's as if that fall. it prevents yeah. you. Yeah. 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 No, no. Mm. And I mean, that's the goal, you know, and yeah, maybe I should get into that <laughs> jump in <laughs> well i'll tell you what i know later but this this has been so great thank you so much for um letting me give you the wheels off treatment i really appreciate Aww. it so much jenny well i i was just so happy to be here thank you for asking me and convincing me out of convincing you not to have me <laughs> <laughs> i know the listeners should know that you tried to talk me out of having you as a guest and look how great of a guest you've been Aww. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you too, Rhett. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also... As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.